two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to this episode of The Flip Side. This is another in a series of episodes focused on the economic and market implications of COVID-19. My name is Jeff Mellon. I'm the Global Head of Research at Barclays. I'm joined this week by Mike Gapin, our Chief U.S. Economist. Thanks for joining me, Mike. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This week, we're going to focus on the CARES Act, the largest ever stimulus package which was passed by Congress in March, and whether or not it will be effective at reducing the economic consequences of COVID-19. Well, I believe that the, the legislation will be effective, but I think we also need to be clear about what that means. Uh, we both think we're going to have a severe recession in the U.S. About all fiscal and monetary policy can do at this stage is prepare the economy for the eventual recovery. But neither of us uh, think that monetary and fiscal policy can offset the direct effect of the virus on economic activity, particularly given that 80% or more of the country is already under statewide stay-at-home orders. Yeah, that's right. And the evidence, Mike, of the contraction is already coming through the latest data. That's been particularly obvious in labor markets, where it looks like 10 to 15 million Americans may lose their jobs in April. Indeed, it's hard to get your head around that kind of number. So I think we do need to define effectiveness. And, and I think stimulus probably isn't the right word. This is more like fiscal support, or disaster assistance. I think the legislation was designed to keep as much of the economy on stall speed in a, in a, in a waiting pattern, in a holding position by replacing lost revenue and income while keeping credit flowing. Sectors important to national security will receive loan guarantees and direct assistance. And for small and medium-sized business, there are programs that will enable companies to make rent and mortgage payments and hopefully keep people on the payroll through a temporary disruption. That should help the economy restart from a place that somewhat resembles where we left off. So yes, there will be severe job losses. Much of the lost services activity will not be made up in my opinion, but I do think the legislation will both ease the burden that job losses impose on workers and provide some firepower to jumpstart demand once we come back online. Well, Mike, I'm a bit more pessimistic. And to be clear, I'm not critical of the bill. Many of the programs that are inside of the CARES Act are well-intentioned, and I'm not sure that there was actually a better bill that could have been passed in such a short time frame. But I think the small business-focused efforts will not get the take-up that the legislators envisioned because of the structure and challenges of actually getting money into that part of the economy. I expect that the bulk of the lending to larger corporates will go to companies that had access to other sorts of sources of financing, whereas a lot of mid-sized companies will get left out. And finally, I think there's too little aid to municipalities, which are going to suffer mightily in the next few months. Okay, well, at least let me start with why I think this bill will be effective. Uh, we don't have the full CBO scoring of the bill as of yet, but let's think about the size. It's in the ballpark of $2 trillion, which is about 10% of the economy and more than twice what was passed in the TARP legislation during the global financial crisis. Our forecast is for a full-year contraction of GDP on the order of four and a half percent. So this is kind of fiscal response is certainly sized to have an impact. You know, Mike, I have struggled with these aggregate comparisons of the size of a stimulus package to the size of the economic contraction associated with COVID-19. The, the CARES Act is really a number of programs. It's rebate checks to consumers. It's got 
uh, loans to some companies. It's got forgivable loans or effectively grants to other types of companies. A lot of the loans would need to get paid back. We'd have to think about fiscal multipliers of any of the direct assistance that's happening. So how much activity that actually gets generated by each specific program is what matters, not just the aggregate size versus the size of the contraction. That's fair enough. And, and I would agree there's conditional spending here depending on how bad things get. It's definitely different than increasing budget caps in any fiscal year. My point is just to suggest that relative to phase one and phase two, this particular bill, the CARES Act, has the potential to be meaningful. But let's go through the programs. How about we start with the programs that are intended to help individual households and, and consumers? There are several things in this bill that are important here. This would be the, the $1,200 rebate checks for individual taxpayers, forbearance in terms of student loan payments, mortgages, and consumer credit, and expanded unemployment benefits. These should help provide a bridge to when social distancing ends and should help ease the burden for households that are adversely affected by these widespread stay-at-home orders. Well, the rebate checks and the forbearance on the various forms of credit certainly would help ease the economic distress that's being caused by COVID-19. However, one of the effects that you didn't mention just now was that they would provide a stimulus or a boost to the economy. And I actually don't think they will provide a stimulus or boost to the economy. I think it doesn't really matter how big of a rebate check you get in the mail this month or next month. You're extremely unlikely to go out and spend it if you're forced to stay inside your home. I'm not sure that these sorts of programs actually could provide a stimulus or boost to the economy right now. Right. Well, I, I don't think these parts of the bill are intended to be stimulus per se. I think what they really are is efforts to prime the pump such that when the economy begins to reopen again, consumers and households have money with which to spend and begin improving activity. You know, I also have some concerns about the expanded unemployment benefits. So, so to be clear, the bill provides for an additional $600 a week in unemployment benefits for people who are laid off because of COVID-19. That's well in excess of the standard unemployment benefits that workers receive when they get laid off. We've already read reports that there are companies out there that are laying employees off because they will be able to take advantage of those additional payments. In some cases, they'll be able to make more money as a result of those expanded unemployment benefits than they were making in wages at their job in the first place. I think there's a risk that some of these employees remain detached from the labor force even after the effects of the virus start to wear off and we can all start going back to work. There is evidence that it's harder to return to the workforce once you're laid off, Jeff, that's true. But I wouldn't be so quick to presume that unemployment benefits will lead to too much detachment because workers also have incentive to retain their benefits, which they lose when they get laid off. And I think that's a good segue into another one of the components of the CARES Act, which is intended to support small and medium-sized business. This would be the PPP or the Payroll Protection Plan. Yeah, that's a plan where small businesses, those with fewer than 500 employees, can take out loans to use against payroll, rent, utilities, et cetera. And the loans are actually forgivable up to certain limits uh, so long as you continue to keep a certain percentage of your employees on the payrolls. And that's important because about half of all workers in the United States work in small and medium-sized enterprises. You're talking about 63 million people that are on payrolls of firms that have 500 employees. 
or less. So it's very critical that we get assistance out to small and medium-sized enterprises to limit the amount of, of unemployment or distress that we'll see at these institutions. Okay, look, the principle here is a good one. I think you do want to keep those businesses sort of frozen, um, and then you can kind of thaw them out once uh, the social distancing ends, and they can try to regain the momentum that they had before the disruptions from COVID-19. But I have a couple of points of reality. First, many of these small businesses experience very high turnover. So, for example, uh, I've spoken to some folks who run franchises where they have turnover that's very high, say as high as 200% a year. For a business like that, why bother taking out a loan and then applying for forgiveness, et cetera? It could be much more efficient just to lay people off, let them collect these higher unemployment benefits, and then rehire different people later where there's likely to be no shortage of potential employees given uh, how we've seen the unemployment numbers uh, uh, flow through already. A second point is that we actually don't know what the economy is going to look like in three months. You know, we're professional economists. We don't have any idea what it's going to look like, never mind if we're running a small business. And so there's a risk that three months from now, social distancing may not have worked, or we may have had uh, a second round of, 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 of the virus and the in associated infections, such that companies that took these loans could look back and say they wish they hadn't, that they had let their employees go in the first place. For these two reasons, I think we might get less take up of these programs than one might otherwise expect. So actually, Jeff, my critique of the program is different. It's not that it won't get taken up or firms won't seek to use it. I actually think many will, and the program's probably not large enough. So as I mentioned, about 63 million workers work in small and medium-sized business. If we do the, the math here and assume that they worked 34 hours per week, which was the average before the coronavirus outbreak, and had hourly earnings that were equal to leisure and hospitality, that industry earned about a little under $17 an hour. And then across the eight weeks of support that the bill provides, that's already a number around 300 billion. That almost tops out the program's current size. On top of that, you would need more to cover mortgage interest rent and some of the other components like utilities that, that you mentioned. So in, in my view, I think in, in looking at other estimates, it suggests that maybe a trillion or more is the minimum amount that you would need in the payroll protection plan to, to make it viable. And I'd note that just today, uh, the Senate is suggesting that they're already looking at adding another 200 billion to the size of the program, which I think is an admission that it was too small to begin with. Well, Mike, if your concern is that the program is too small and that there are limited funds, and I think we could end up in a situation where only those businesses that have established banking relationships are actually able to access the money, which probably means that it's the smallest of the small businesses that get left out and don't end up getting the kind of financing that they might need. But I think we should pivot here from the smallest companies in the economy to the largest companies in the economy, because the CARES Act had a number of provisions targeted at aiding big U.S. corporations also. That's right. So there's about 50 billion in the CARES Act for the airline industry and other sectors of the economy that are important for national security. These would this would be funds that would go to loan guarantees or, or other direct support. Uh, and if you receive these uh, this financial support, you're not eligible to receive assistance elsewhere in the CARES Act. So this is really targeted and designed for airlines and industries important to national security. And then there's a, there's a second component here. Uh, there's a, a 454 billion uh, outlay 
to go to the Federal Reserve and support Federal Reserve lending facilities. These would be facilities where the Fed and the Treasury get together and the Treasury is providing the Fed loss protection, but the Fed would extend credit to the private sector, which would be available to medium-sized business and potentially municipalities. And I think the key here is that uh, the, the size of these programs can be much larger than the amount appropriated. So if the Fed levered these facilities, these lending facilities up in the same way that they did during the, the global financial crisis, you're talking about providing perhaps as much as $4 trillion in lending support to the overall economy. Well, Mike, on the one hand, I think the direct aid to companies like airlines and other industries that are most affected by COVID-19 makes a lot of sense. Those companies probably have very limited access to financing from other forms, and certainly in any form that would keep them in business. Uh, but the larger sum of money, which is targeted for companies in other industries, to me, might seem like a lot of firepower that will go unused. So large companies in the U.S. have access to all sorts of financing. We've seen large companies draw down revolvers from banks. We've seen them access the corporate bond markets during any periods of calm. Um, so I'm not sure that we really need that $4 trillion of firepower. That could be a waste of that, of that sort of $450 billion. Um, as evidence, the programs that the Federal Reserve has rolled out so far seem to have very little take-up. Well, I wouldn't point to take-up as being the only measure of success for these facilities. If we do go back to the global financial crisis and look at some of the lending facilities that the Fed put in place, several of them got very little take-up, yet their mere presence allowed for improved conditions in financial markets and lenders were, were willing to engage and transact with each other just knowing that the Fed was an arm's length away. So I think there are other measures of, of success and I think these programs added value and improved the, the functioning of both markets and the economy just by being a backstop. Fair point, Mike, that if these programs provide confidence to investors, they could provide benefits even if the take-up is relatively low. But I'm worried that the low take-up is actually being driven by another factor, which is all the strings that come with these programs. So companies that access this kind of lending will have to give warrants to the government, which means that the government would participate in any eventual equity upside. They would also have restrictions on buybacks and dividends, restrictions on executive compensation. They would have limits in how they approached any collective bargaining issues. Um, and there could be a stigma associated with having to tap into those facilities, meaning that you had no other choice, that you're in such dire straits, you needed to accept all of these strings. And if that's the case, the stigma could keep companies that might otherwise need it from using it, which again, takes away from the effectiveness of the programs. Well, I think that's true. If there's naming and shaming involved in the, in the treasury lending components and the direct assistance in, in the CARES Act, then the legislation uh, would be self-defeating in, in the sense that the firms you want to have take up that assistance don't have the incentive to do so. So I have one final critique, Mike, which we haven't talked about, which is the effect on municipalities. The CARES Act doesn't have a lot of help in there for municipals, but between sales taxes, hotel taxes, income taxes, we're gonna see a significant amount of budget pain at the municipal level. For example, during the GFC, we saw municipal revenues decline by something like 40%, and our forecast for the aggregate economic pain caused by COVID-19 are roughly on a par with what we saw during the financial crisis. Municipals don't have the ability to deficit finance. And so what we saw during the financial crisis was a dramatic decline in municipal employment, and it took years before that really rebounded. I think the gap 
in helping municipals is a major hole in the CARES Act and one that the government needs to address. So I think that's right. And, and I would point to phase four is likely where that assistance is coming. So Congress is already discussing a phase four bill, which we think will provide some support for states and municipalities uh, to compensate for that lost revenue. And I also think we'll see some support for the healthcare sector in any phase four bill. I, I think that sector of the economy is also in trouble and is hurting financially and deserves some additional support. But I think that can be accomplished in a subsequent bill. Well, that'll be the subject of a future episode of The Flip Side. Thanks for joining me, Mike. Clients of Barclays can read our latest research on the effects of COVID-19 at hashtag virus, available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com/ib.